The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I wanted to get to this. We know that going into this year, a lot of political watchers were closely keeping an eye on a number of issues, expecting them to take front and center this year. Of course, income tax cuts, uh, pharmacare, climate change, pipelines, just to name a few. And of course, they've been talked about, but obviously they were pushed aside by COVID-19. And new polling today shows the prime minister's approval rating has gone up through the pandemic. Well, the, the pandemic has actually worked for the Prime Minister in terms of his leadership numbers. He's up about 13 points to uh, 56 uh, compared to where he was last February. And 56 is almost as good as what he was doing in the first year of his first term. So he's, uh, he's actually looking pretty strong in terms of personal appeal. Now, whether that is a reflection of um, people actually being satisfied with what he's doing or hoping that uh, that he's going to be providing the leadership that we need right now. It all adds up to the same thing, which is really strong approval levels for the prime minister. So that's the voice of Daryl Bricker from Ipsos, who did the polling. Um, now, within the provinces, the, the tight national scene mirrors races within key provinces. The Liberals are up slightly over the Tories in Ontario. B.C. is a statistical tie, but the Conservatives hold a comfortable lead, not surprisingly, in Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Well, it's like the blurs day of political polling. I mean, it's the same thing month after month after month after month, uh, where we see the Liberals holding on to a, a slight lead. Some months they're up a little bit, some months they're down a little bit, but they haven't trailed any other political party for the entire year. Uh, they ha- But where they are is not enough uh, to, uh, I would say, call an election with certainty that they're going to be able to win a majority. So you heard that question asked, are Canadians really satisfied or has COVID just really put everything else on the back burner? Kicking things off this afternoon, we're joined by Dr. Donald Abelson, who is the director of the Brian Mulroney Institute of Government. He is also the Stephen K. Hudson Chair in Canada-U.S. Relations and a professor with the Department of Political Science at uh, St. Francis Xavier University. Dr. Abelson, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. All right. So these numbers that uh, I started the show off uh, suggesting that uh, Justin Trudeau's approval rating has improved through the pandemic, the numbers across uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Are they surprising to you at all? Or um, is this just really a a reflection of of this year and, and the fact that really COVID has taken front and center? Well, COVID absolutely has taken front and center, but I think the Prime Minister, for the most part, has demonstrated uh, relatively effective leadership. Uh, you know, he speaks with a calm, <laughs> nurturing voice, and despite the fact that there have been, you know, many hiccups along the way, uh, he's been able to reach out to the Canadian public. He's been able to reach out to provincial premiers, uh, some more successfully than others. Uh, to reassure reassure them that the federal government uh, will be doing whatever it possibly can, not only to try and control the spread of the virus, but obviously to encourage uh, the development of vaccines that I'm sure most people are looking forward to. So, you know, overall, uh, I'm not terribly surprised that his, his approval ratings have gone up. You know, anything above 50%, you know, at this stage of his political career, I think is very, very strong. Uh, and I think that's a, a signal 
uh, to many people that unlike other leaders around the world that he has been able to to reach out provide a calming voice and uh, demonstrating the kind of leadership you need to during uh, periods of, of or during uh, critical periods in political history how much do you expect that uh, that support might stick around when uh, the bills actually start to come in I suspect that that those right. numbers will start dropping when 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 we have to take a closer look at the the economy the the, the situation that we find ourselves in and how that's going to be paid for well absolutely and you know most political scientists will refer to it as the political business cycle that you mm-hmm. know governments in order to get them through difficult times will spend a lot of money on various programs and in, in this case, you know, different relief packages, stimulus packages, uh, and they hope that that amount of spending will bring enough people on board to support them. But at the end of the day, uh, payments need to be made, and if you're spending money on some programs, you're not allocating funds for others. So, you know, we're we're during a, we're in a period now when the focus really is on getting through the pandemic, dealing with the vaccine, seeing if we can return to a sense of normalcy. But then there is going to be a reality check. And Justin Trudeau and and provincial premiers across the country are going to be held to account. They understand that, but they're hoping that once the public is able to get through this period, that perhaps uh, they will forgive uh, some shortcomings along the way. But we're going to have to wait and see. But a reality check is certainly on its way. You know, Dr. Abelson, I I don't even have to look at my text line right now because, uh, as we know, support for, uh, you know, the Trudeau Liberals out here in Alberta isn't that that very strong. And as soon as you start mentioning, um, you know, Trudeau in the past uh, couple of years, people get pretty fired up. And one of the things that that happened this year, you know, the the We Charity scandal, and you look at the number of the scandals under the the Liberal government, under under Justin Trudeau, and nothing has really seemed to stick. It's almost almost like it, it's come up and, and it's just kind of just gone away and just disappeared. And, and the Wee yeah. scandal, I think this year as well, the same thing happened. And I think COVID, of course, played a big part in that. But why is that? Is that, um, is that something that the Prime Minister and his people are managing to effectively, uh, efficiently control? Is uh, do, do you think the media is not doing a good enough job holding account, uh, the, right. the, the, the government to account? What is it? I, well, I think there's several factors, and, and you've hit on a few of them. Uh, one, I think the Liberals have been relatively effective at managing these crises, and of course, the We Charity scandal isn't the only one. You could go back and you could look at you know, SNC-Lavalin SNC? and that, yeah. how, how that was handled, uh, and you can look at others as well. So the, the Liberal Party machine, I think, has been very, very effective in damage control. There's no question about that. COVID certainly hasn't hurt them, because when you look at the We Charity scandal, which actually is quite significant. There are a lot of moving parts, but when, when you focus on it, there is a lot there. You know, that particular crisis in the absence of COVID would have been front-page news for a very long period of time, and the Prime Minister would have been held to account. The other thing that we need to keep in mind is for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, at the height of COVID, and of course we're going through, you know, a second, potentially third wave, uh, you know, as we speak, the Prime Minister was not held to account in the House of Commons. So when the kinds of questions that, that, that journalists and, and, and political opponents would have an opportunity at, to ask were, were kind of shoved you know, to the back. So these kinds of stories, whether it was uh, Lavalin, 
or the We Charity scandal or others really were moved to the side because the public was forced really to focus on COVID, on schools closing, on the economy, on businesses, pipelines, and other things. So there were a lot of distractions that really helped the Prime Minister, but it doesn't mean that these issues are going to disappear forever because when it, you know, when it gets to you know, ethical violations and other things, they have a tendency to resurface, but there is no doubt that COVID was able to push some of these scandals that otherwise would have generated far more media scrutiny uh, to the sidelines. I want to ask you about Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, who's uh, officially been on the job. I think it's it marks its four months tomorrow. Your, your thoughts on, uh, on his performance so far, part one and part two, what does he have to do to, to bring his uh, approval numbers up, to get more support for Conservatives, especially in, you know, that voter-rich area of, uh, of Ontario, uh, maybe out in BC as well? What has to be done there? Well, I, you know, it, it, it's really about, you know, focusing on the key issues and, and, and the vision that he wants to advance. I don't think a lot of people are really familiar with Aaron O'Toole. I think he's got to do a much better job in, in marketing himself and the vision that he has, you know, for the country. And that takes some time. So, of course, he has, he has been around political circles for a while, but for many, he doesn't have brand name recognition. So he's going to have to build on that, and it can't just be about advancing an anti-Trudeau message. There has to be a viable alternative in order to generate, you know, uh, you know, votes across the country. I think it'll take some time, but he has to determine what the message is, what his vision is, and how he's going to be able to counter uh, the kind of support that Justin Trudeau has been able to garner over the last several months. So it, it's still relatively early days, but he's going to have to figure out what strategy he wants to advance and what is the best way to grab on, not only to conservative voters across the country, uh, but those who perhaps have grown tired and disillusioned with the Liberals and are looking for a fundamental change. You know, there was an interesting uh, opinion piece in the Globe and Mail today talking about uh, just, you know, throwing out some ideas about what uh, Mr. O'Toole should focus on moving forward. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was, you know, that they, they painted a picture of him as being, you know, really probably for a lot of people more appealing, a middle-class family. He's right. he's had a couple of careers. He served in the military. He's a lawyer. Right. He's had those jobs before he went into politics. And and I think that that is something that, that uh, you know, just in, in part – you know, if you're looking at optics, you know, he needs to capitalize on and stop beating dead horses that, that, that maybe have already, you know, long sailed. I, I, I completely agree with you, and, and, and that's about exercising leadership. He really needs to determine who he is and what he wants the Canadian public to understand about him. So you're absolutely right. He's worn a number of different hats over the course of his career, but people need to become comfortable. They need to become familiar with their leaders, both what their strengths and weaknesses are, but whether or not these are the type of people they can rally around. And so O'Toole's really got, I think, you know, step out of the shadow uh, and and really begin to, you know, develop the type of profile that's going to garner and attract the kind of attention that he needs which will bring people along. I mean, the reality is 
that with most major policy issues, as soon as you begin to make important decisions, you're going to lose a sizable part of the population. That just goes with the job. But it's about leadership. It's about reaching out, and it's about promoting yourself in such a way that other people are uh, are values that they're attracted to and are prepared to support. So I think, again, it's still early days, but O'Toole and the Conservative Party have to figure out what direction they want to go, and it can't just be about being anti-liberal. They have to provide a, a certain posture and a certain profile that's going to generate the support that they need moving forward. Dr. Donald Abelson joining me this afternoon as we take a look back at the year in, in politics and, and look ahead to 2021. And it's going to be an interesting one, uh, to say the least. Uh, Dr. Abelson, I want to take a look to uh, the U.S. Uh, today, and I'm, I'm still trying to keep up with everything that is happening with President Trump. I know that he, he vetoed the National Defense Act uh, today, wanting um, you know, more money to go to Americans. We saw a whole bunch of pardons. Uh, being announced today. Um, the next few weeks before the transfer of power, what more are you expecting out of the uh, out of the Trump administration? Well, you know, at this point, <laughs> you know, we could expect just about anything. I think there'll be a new round of pardons. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, we know he's already made uh, 20, uh, many of which have, have generated considerable uh, controversy mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, you know, of course, he's digging his heels uh, in on the new uh, stimulus uh, package that uh, both houses of Congress were able to agree to. Uh, but this is consistent, you know, with his behavior. This is consistent with the narrative that he has developed uh, over the past several months, indeed months before uh, the November 3rd election. And clearly what he is trying to do uh, is to hold on to his base. Uh, We know that he has generated over $200 million in recent months. Uh, He's never going to concede uh, this election to uh, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris because he's looking ahead. He knows that, you know, come January 21st or January 20th on Inauguration Day, he will no longer be president. America can only have one president. It will not be him. But he's figuring out his next steps, and he wants to convey to his base, which has been very loyal, we can't forget that he, he generated over 70 million votes, uh, that he is prepared to you know, do whatever he can uh, to speak on their behalf, although you know, many of us realize that he's really speaking on his own behalf, but that he's not going to capitulate, he's not going to give up, he'll continue to talk about a rigged election and, until the cows come home, but this is the narrative that he needs to develop hold on to and uh, so I expect to see you know more shenanigans over the next uh, couple of weeks before he steps down he will be disruptive in large part because he has not come to terms uh, with what has happened uh, and he's going to just like as he entered office he he will leave in a fl- with a flurry <laughs> and uh, there'll be you know a lot of challenges for the Biden Harris administration to deal with uh, but it, it it's frightening and disturbing for many, um, but it's also, I think, to be expected from this particular president. I know since this, uh, since the uh, the American election, and since um, uh, Joe Biden was announced as as president-elect, there's been a lot of focus on what this could mean. Certainly out here in Alberta about uh, Trans Mountain, there's been a lot of speculation about that, whether or not there, you know, the officials here have the ability or the the capability to maybe get the administration to change its mind on right. that pipeline. Your your thoughts uh, on that at this point. 
Right. Well, you have to go back really to the the Obama Biden years mm-hmm. and the efforts that that Prime Minister Harper made to try and get the U.S. on board in terms of Keystone XL. And of course, uh, the Obama administration decided not to move forward on it. And so uh, there have been many, many delays and frustrations around the building of the of the pipeline. Biden has, has signaled on many occasions that he is, uh, you know, supportive of energy policy, is supportive of new green energy. Uh, I think it is going to take a lot of convincing, uh, especially you know within the Democratic Party, to move him toward a more favorable position, you know, on the pipeline. So we'll have to see what pans out. Uh, but this is going to be a challenge for Justin Trudeau, you know, moving forward. This is certainly going to be a challenge for a Western candidate. doesn't mean it's off the table, but they're going to have to work very, very closely with the Biden-Harris administration to see if they can reach a compromise, to see if they can figure out a way to move forward uh, so as to benefit, you know, both countries with the, with this particular pipeline. But, you know, Biden has to be very, very careful. You know, he's stepping in at a time uh, that he, you know, he's got to deal with you know, more protectionist forces within the Democratic Party, certainly more progressive forces within the Democratic Party. So we know that he has already pieced together, you know, subject to approval, a very diverse cabinet. But he cannot forget the fact that, you know, there were a lot of uh, voters that came on board uh, to support him who are far more progressive in their leanings. They're not supportive of the pipeline, um, but he is going to have to try and manage this very diverse range of interests. So it's not a fait accompli, uh, but certainly Biden has signaled very on that on this particular issue, there could be and likely will be significant policy differences between Canada and the United States.